And somehow, between back there and up here, I lost the clicker. Did I leave the clicker back there on the table? Oh, man. All right, here it comes. All right, here we go. All right, well, the, as uh, if you, you guys have seen, uh, Myron Bruce is uh, leading songs this morning, and something we've talked about here for a while is that our, the church here being as in a place and a size that it's, uh, we believe it's, we've been praying for what is a, an, ex, an additional minister, like a family life minister, look like. And so we've talked to Myron over a while, the last while, I've known Myron for several years and his family, and uh, some life changes happened in, in Myron's life, and uh, we reconnected here a few months ago, and he said, hey, um, you think uh, that I might be a match in Great Falls? I said, well, let's see. Why don't you come up, and, and we'll start, we'll talk about this, we'll pray about it, and, and I had talked with him about it before. And so he's up with uh, part of his family this week, and this isn't a... Um, I, we don't want to talk about it as a job interview in the terms of like a, a secular job, but let's talk about it in terms of a spiritual call. If this is, as we've been praying, if this is a match for Myron and his family to serve God here and to be a great blessing for us and the community around, then fantastic. If he's got different plans uh, for us and Myron and his family, then uh, then that's great. But we're going to pray through for this this week and, and see where, where God leads us. You, know, you can tell that one of his gifts is song leading, and he teaches seminars on, on to churches and to song leaders and trains song leaders, and, and that's a great gift that he has. And so in our, in our context, he would be part of the rotation and be behind the scenes training people to be able to, to lead songs and, and to do to lead us in that. And uh, in addition, uh, he and his wife, Vicki, who's here, and their third favorite child, right? Dylan, is that right? Yeah, Dylan's their third child. They have a, a son and daughter that's older. That's here with them this week. And uh, they're just a, just a great family and I think have a lot to share with um, uh, just how to live Christian life. There's a lot of things that, that um, Myron and Vicki would, uh, would bless us with, and we'll just, we'll just see. We'll continue to pray through this this week. You'll have the opportunity uh, tonight from 7 to 9 o'clock at, at the Crook's home. If you'd like to come and just do a meet and greet, you can bring snacks and all those New Year's resolutions that you made for food, those are going to go out the window tonight, all right? Just after dinner, come on over and, and bring some snacks to share if you'd like. And uh, on Wednesday, we're going to have a question and answer, like a town hall type meeting during our normal 7 to 8 time period uh, Bible classes where uh, you can ask questions and uh, and and uh, just get to know Myron and Vicky a little bit more. So there's some opportunities that are coming up. Okay, I'm going to get us into uh, what we're going to look at today. Let's go back to Luke chapter 6. And we've been going through Luke, and we spent some time in chapter 6 because chapter 6 is what they, remember, we call the Sermon on the Plain, where Jesus finds a level place, gets some of his disciples together, and says, I'm going to tell you about what my kingdom looks like. Okay, It's going to be different than the kingdom you're anticipating and different than any other kingdom that you've ever been a part of. And this is what it's going to look like. And he talks about, you're going to be blessed if you do these things. Your, your life's going to be bad for you in my kingdom if you do this. And he talks about some other things we'll get to here in a second. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk for just a few minutes here and then give Myron the opportunity to introduce himself and share some more about him in the context of, of what we're looking at here in in Luke chapter 6. But you see what happens here in these verses here. In, uh, Jesus is going to talk about foundations and fruit. And he's going to use two analogies to make some very, very important spiritual lessons for us. The first one that Luke read here just a second ago 
is uh, he talks about if there's a bad tree, it's going to produce bad fruit. If you've got a good tree, then it's going to produce good fruit. Okay, we understand that analogy, don't we? I know that uh, when Sylvia and I bought our house here in Belgrade, there was two green ash trees out in front of our house. And they did not look good because they were green, green ash trees are supposed to be full. They're supposed to have long branches and, and all of these, these green leaves all over the place. And you looked at those trees and you could look from the bottom all the way to the top and you, and you could tell this is not going very well here because there were about half the branches on them were dead. The leaves looked sick. The bark was falling off and it just looked all around blah, these two trees. And so we kind of thought about what should we do? Are we going to be able to save these trees? Should we just cut it down and start from scratch? How is this going to work? And so I went to Ace Hardware. There's some great people there at Ace Hardware. They pointed me towards some fertilizer, like put some fertilizer around those trees, and we started watering them. And, and I got up there with the ladder, and I cut all those dead branches off. And you know what happened? The first year that we were there, they looked a whole lot better. And the second year we were there, they looked a whole lot better. And I noticed that this summer, they looked almost as good as the green ash trees across the street. And a couple years ago, that was not the case at all. They looked horrible. And, and that's the message here that Jesus is getting across. Even though green ash trees are not what we'd call fruit trees, they don't produce the, the fruit that we eat. But what happens down in the soil underneath us makes the tree and it produces Good stuff or bad stuff. And as Jesus says, if you look down through there in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45, if I've got all sorts of negative stuff and bad stuff that is bottled up inside me, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be able to keep it right there all to myself, right? No, that's not what happens. If I fill myself with, with evil, with negativity, then what happens eventually is it's going to come out of my mouth. And there's going to be bad fruit because of it. But if I fill myself with good stuff, I fill myself with things that are positive and honorable and godly, then what happens is what, what comes out of us? That same stuff naturally comes out of us. Let's not think for a second, Jesus is saying, that you can, as he's just got through talking about, that you can love your enemies or walk around without being completely critical with people if you fill yourself with that stuff all the time. Hey, there's no way you can do it. And so filling yourself with things that are good and honorable and praiseworthy and, and anything that is godly, what that's going to do is it's going to turn you into this tree that produces fruit that people love to be around, that blesses everybody else around. And that's, that's the type of people. You can imagine Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, and that's the type of people that I'm looking for. These people that bless others, that produce all of this tremendous fruit that goes out from them. And he doesn't stop there. And I'm going to read this next one here. But let's look at verses 46 through 49. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, a torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Okay, so Jesus' point here is, you look at this one right here. Who knows what this is? The Leaning Tower of 
Pisa. No, I knew someone would say that. It's not the Leaning Tower of Pizza. It is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. P-I-S-A is how it's pronounced. And I remember when I went and saw this uh, almost 20 years ago now. I traveled from Florence, where I was living at the time, and went and, and saw this. And it is a, it's a pretty massive tower. It's beautiful. The architecture is amazing, these columns, and it just goes up and up and up. And at that point in time, they had cables all over it because the Leaning Tower had moved about two feet in the year before. And they decided, oh, that's a bad idea, because if this tower keeps leaning, what's going to happen? It's going to fall, and it's not going to be good. And so... If we ask ourselves, it's pretty easy to figure out, why on earth did this tower lean this way? Because there was a foundation that was poor. Something went very, very wrong here. Someone did not do their homework, right, Coulter? Didn't put the, Coulter's a structural engineer, did not get stuff ready for that foundation to be right. Look at a couple of other pictures here. Look at this one. Yeah, that's not very good, is it? Yeah, that didn't pan out. Somebody was not doing their foundation work on that one right there. How about this one? Yeah, somebody's home. Put all this effort into it. Put their dreams into it. And didn't put the great foundation in. And that's what happened to it. And Jesus' point here, he uses this analogy to say, if you've got a bad foundation, it doesn't matter how beautiful everything is up above, it doesn't work. If you've got a good foundation, you can build something really strong on top of that. There was a number of years ago... And uh, I watched a church building being built. And this church building was beautiful as it was down the road from where we lived in Great Falls. Amazingly beautiful. And I've been in, inside a few different times. And inside of it, there's great open spaces and there's glass that is beautiful. There's all sorts of, of stonework. There's all sorts of amazing woodwork inside. And it is just a gorgeous place to go inside. And look, and we were in Great Falls working on trying to build a building at the time. And so I talked with the contact person that was part of that church and said, hey, what did you do? What did you learn? What went well? What didn't? And I'll tell you what she said here in a minute. But Great Falls is known for fat clay. How many of you know what fat clay is for building on? Yeah, it's not very good. It's hard to build on because it looks great. It's hard. But then when it gets wet it'll expand in that area about 5%. So you just imagine a building that's going like this, how that, how that works. And there was, I saw some, some houses that were built without proper foundations on, on the base once in Great Falls. And there was a space about that big in the sheetrock where it had moved in the basement. It's terrible stuff. And so when I was asking this lady about what they would like, what she would have done differently in, in some of this organization of how they built this church building, she said, we spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money on glass, wood, stone, and hardly anything on the foundation, and I strongly recommend that you do the opposite. Because what happened is they had had to put hundreds of thousands of dollars into that building since then because they had not put a great foundation on it, and it was moving, and it was tearing the whole building apart. And this is Jesus' point here. We understand that, don't we? In Matthew, he talks about building a house in the sand, and the waves come up and, and just tear it away, and it's gone. You build a sand castle that gets torn apart. Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. But there is another guy in Great Falls that I became a good friend of mine. He's one of the deacons there, Jeff Sabo. Any of you know him? Yeah, really neat guy. And Jeff built his house board by board, nail by nail, 
never had a mortgage on it. He just would work on it as he could. And he did that over a number of years when his children were very small. And he built that house up. And one of the things he told me, there's, it's known that that house could survive a nuclear holocaust. It's, it's unbelievably well built. It's amazing. But he said, Chris, when I was building a foundation, I was reading in Scripture where God is talking about build a house on the rock. And we got in there with the, the excavator and we're digging. And I tr- thought I had picked a place to build a house where there would be rock underneath. And I did. And I got through all that gumbo on top. I got through all that fat clay. And there was solid rock underneath. And I had them pull all of that dirt away. And I put my foundation right on that rock because I figured God must know something. That if I put my foundation on the rock, that this house will endure and I can protect and take care of my family, if that's the case. And Jesus' message for all of us here is good foundations enable us to overcome anything that life throws at us. If we don't have a great foundation based on God, if our foundation is based on our job, our finances, stock market, whatever, fill in the blank. If our foundation is on something else, then whenever that gets rocked, then it's hard for us to survive. But what is the one constant in this universe that will never change? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That will not change. And so when we build our foundation on Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes, doesn't matter what goes awry in our life, we know that we can, by putting our faith in him, survive absolutely anything that comes our way. And that is tremendous news for me. In addition to that, we take care of that foundation, we, we put a lot of nutrients into it, we produce good fruit that produces in others, that produces in others, that produces in others, and it just starts taking off. And as we start this new year, I know that there's a, Dilbert talked about, it's, uh, it's how many of you have New Year's resolutions? Now, sometimes it's a good idea, sometimes it's not. It's good to just find things that help better ourselves, whatever it is. And if that's New Year's, great. If it's another time of the year, that's great. But for all of us, as, uh, as people of God, as people who are living the abundant life of Jesus, what I pray for us today is that we can be people, day in, day out, that say, I want to have this good foundation, and I want to produce good fruit, and I'm going to live accordingly. And when I do that, I know that God's going to take care of all the rest, and I have nothing to worry about. And that's a life worth living. Myron's going to come up and he's going to share some more about himself and his family. And one of the things that Myron, I appreciate about him, he said, Chris, I'm not very good at promoting myself. And I said, good, that's fantastic. You'll fit right in here, okay? Don't try to be shiny, smooth, all that. It's good. It's all good. But this is the time, Myron, to tell us some great stuff about you and uh, your family. Come on up. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. It's, um, it's a bio is what he was asking me to do. And as I thought about that, I thought... Um, your bio is an interesting thing, uh, because when you consider uh, an individual's personal bio, you're looking at their family, and you're looking at the details of their lives, the facts and figures and, and where they've been. I want to share a little bit of that with you, but this is, uh, uh, this is our time to worship together, and this is our time to study, and Chris has done a great job talking about the foundation that we should be building upon, the fruits that we should be bearing. And so I want to take, and I want to take that same idea, and, and if I can, I'm not a preacher. I, I leave the preaching up to the professionals. I'd like to be able to share a little bit with you about myself with, with text, 
Not that I'm perfect, not that my, my family is perfect, but we try to maintain everything that we do, our bio, with this as our foundation. With this as our guiding principle. With this as being the things that will direct our facts and figures and our details and our, our family. So when you, look at a, when you look at someone's bio, what does that entail? What does that mean? What is Myron Bruce's bio? And quite frankly, I think it's this. What are my fruits? What is my foundation? When you look at someone, you say, I want to know about your bio, all you need to do, folks, is look at their fruit. What are they producing? Look at their foundation. What are they building upon? Are they building upon that rock? Are they building upon that sand? And we, we do that with our kids, don't we? Vacation Bible, Bible class. The wise man built his house upon what? The rock. The foolish man built his house upon the what? That is his bio. His bio is that he stood on God. His bio is he stood on the sand, on, on the world. I want, to be on, I want to be on Christ. So, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. My education is, um, uh, I began, in, in, I grew up in Texas. I was born in Kansas, but my folks uh, shortly after that moved to Texas, and that's where I was for the, almost the entire part of my life, from probably six months until uh, I graduated college. But I went to school at Lubbock, Texas, at Lubbock Christian uh, School, and that's where I was blessed to meet my wife, Vicki. She's a native Coloradoan. Uh, she was born in Greeley, Colorado. And uh, actually, you know Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea's big brother, Garrett, uh, Vicki babysat uh, Garrett, and Chelsea both. We've known uh, Don and Richard uh, for a long time, Vicki, since she was a little girl. So we've got some, that, that's part of our bio, that's part of who we are. But... My education included Lubbock Christian, and then I also went on to, to Greeley uh, after Vicki and I were married to the University of Northern Colorado, and I got my master's there. But I want to take, and, and, and that's me, but I want us to take, and, and that's my education part. And look at Scripture. And I, you don't have to turn to these passages. I want to share them with you, though. When Jesus began his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew? I want you to hear what it says. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And the scripture says this. And he, Jesus, opened his mouth and he began to teach them. You see, folks, we're all going to be taught. It's just, who's our teacher going to be? And I'm not talking about Lubbock Christian or University of Northern Colorado. I'm not talking about MSU. I'm talking about who is your teacher. And that should be Jesus Christ. We do have our, our bios that include things like uh, our secular degrees. But what, who, is, who you listen to when you grow? Who is your teacher? That's part of me is, is my education. Another part of me is my ministry. Uh, whenever I finished Love at Christian, my objective was to be in education because I was uh, a coach. I coached uh, football and, and, and uh, volleyball and, and basketball, and, and I coached. And if you're going to be a coach, you're going to have to teach. And so I, I was in education. But I knew I was not going to be able to support my family on a teacher's salary. And if there's educators out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So my objective was that uh, when we have children, that she will be the one who raises them. And so I needed to be able to supply the salary and education. I was going to do that. So 
I moved into administration. So part of my education, that's where UNC came in, University of Colorado, was to be a principal. And so I served as a high school principal as well as an elementary principal for about seven. Well, education was about a total of 15 years. But then I moved from education to the ministry. And that's when uh, Waterview Church of Christ down in Dallas, Texas, said we'd like for you to work in the ministry. I'd done a little bit of that with Lubbock, working towards youth ministry, but I never had to really pursue it until I jumped full, full force into the ministry. And my experience there, my life experiences, plus some of my work with Lubbock Christians what helped me with that. But I want to take you to Luke chapter 3, because this is a part of ministry from Jesus' from Jesus' eyes. In Luke chapter 3, this is important, I think, especially for many that are first-generation Christians. Many people who did not grow up in the church. Some of us did. I, I grew up when I was knee-high to a grasshopper going to church. I remember sitting in my parents' arms like some of these little ones and listening to the songs and singing the songs with my, with my parents and grandparents. But some don't. Some come into ministry late in life. Look at what Jesus' experience was. Obviously, he was raised in a godly family. But in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, the text says this. When he began his ministry, when Jesus began his evangelism ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years old. 30 years old. I dare say there's some of you who are 30 years old and you started your ministry. You're in good company, I would say. So when you consider what uh, my bio is, yes, I've got education. Yes, I've got ministry. But that was the stuff that kind of prepared me. But I also have stepped for 15 plus years, no, almost 30 years in, in a career, in my career. And that follows the same path. It was teaching, as I've already mentioned, and it was, edu- and it was ministry. But I want to take you uh, into the text again because I think this is some important things for us to, to pull onto. I was in the classroom as a teacher. I was on the field as a coach, on the court as a coach. I was in the office as an administrator. And education just did not fulfill what I needed. Uh, I saw a lot of things changing that I did not think I wanted to do. And I found myself handcuffed. I couldn't discipline kids. I'm not talking about swatting them. I couldn't discipline kids in a way that showed them you're created for a better purpose. I couldn't do that in education. And I felt like I needed to step away from it. And so I stepped into the ministry. But if you turn with me to, to John chapter 7, verse 14 and 15 and 16, I want, to, I want to share something with you. This is the portion where Jesus is teaching at a feast. This is where he's having in, uh, interactions with some of, some of his followers. But even his own family was pushing back against him. Even his own family, the scripture says, didn't believe. They, they couldn't embrace, embrace that. But notice what, what the, the, the writer says, John says in John chapter 7, verse 14. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple, and look what it says he did. He began to teach. He's teaching. Verse 15. The Jews then were astonished and saying this. Are you ready for this? I love this. The Jews were saying, how can this man, how can this man become learned, having never been educated? He's a carpenter's son. How can this man say these? How can he teach us? He doesn't know anything. He's just a, he's just a grunt worker. Where's his education? Where's his bio? We want to know what he, we see as fruits now as we look. But even remember, his family struggled with that. Verse 16. So Jesus answered them and said this. Where's your education? Jesus said, my teaching 
is not mine. What I'm saying is not mine, but Him who sent me. Will you say that? Is that where you stand? My teaching is not mine. My bio is just who I am, but my foundation is my God. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be the pulpit preacher to make that statement. You don't have to be an employee of a church to make that statement. You can make that statement working in the field. You can make that statement working in the hardware store. You can make that statement working in the business office. You can make that statement in retirement. You should make that statement every day of your life. My teaching is not mine. My teaching is my God's. That's where Christ stood, and that's where we stand. But also my career included not just the teaching, but the ministry. For almost 15, well, for 15 years I've been in the ministry. Uh, before that, uh, I served as a deacon in the Lord's Church in Colorado as well as down in Texas. For the last 15 years, I've served as a minister in the church. Not the pulpit. Remember, I leave that up to the professionals. But I served as an involvement minister. I served as a song leader. The congregation, especially at Waterview, chose to have just one man lead the singing. Congregation of a thousand people, but they just wanted one. And there were some other things. If you want to come to meet and greet tonight, I'll share with you more on that. But I've served as a song leader. I've served as the involvement leader. I've served as the, uh, the, the college minister. I've served in various different aspects of new members and getting them engaged and working. That's part of my bio as part of my career in ministry. But I want to take you to the text again. I want to take you over to Romans chapter 15. I think we can find a lot of things that parallel. I'm not trying to take anything out of context. I'm not trying to pick and make things fit. I'm just trying to, to shed a little bit of light and show you some things this way. Paul writes in Ro- to the church in Rome in chapter 15. He's talking a lot about uh, uh, denying yourself. And, and it's not, remember, it's not about you. And as he walks through this and tries to, to help the, the, the Christian reader understand this, he says in verse 14 of chapter 15 in Romans, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am... I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. You can encourage each other. You can do this. You can do this. He said to the church in Rome, but folks, as we read this, he says it to us today. But I have written very boldly to you on some points is to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God. This, ladies and gentlemen, is so important for us to pick up. You've got to understand this. This is to us. You need to be a minister of Christ. You need to be a minister of Christ. I'm not, Myron, I can't stand up in the pulpit and preach. Paul's not saying that. Remember, he says, I know the good that's in you. You can admonish, you can encourage one another. And you will do that in your life groups in just a few minutes. But be a minister of Christ Jesus. To the Gentiles. And understand the Gentiles are the people who do not believe. Folks, do you have Gentiles here in Montana? I'm just wondering. Because we've got a bucket load of them down in Texas. We know what Gentiles are. They're people that, that, are, that are not in. They're folks who have not made the decision to, to join Christ in baptism. To die to themselves and to live for Him. Now, I'll tell you this right now, and I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to soapbox it for just a second. I'm going to do that. Is that okay, Chris? If you made that choice, if you, if you made that decision, and you said, I believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God, and you, and you die to yourself, don't resurrect that dead body again. 
Don't go back to that lifestyle. Don't go back to the world looking at you and saying, oh yeah, you're just one of us. You've got to be different. You've got to be different. When the world looks at you, the world should, should, should see Jesus Christ, not you. When the world looks at you, they should say, man, there's something different about him. There's something different about him. I don't know exactly what it is, but I can tell you what it is. He believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he's not ashamed of that. So Paul says to the church, be ministers. To who? Paul? To the Gentiles, to those who do not believe. Ministering as a priest of the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see, when I consider my bio, I've got, good, I've got some good teaching. But I fashion that after, after my Savior. I try to. I've had a good career, and I hope the Lord will continue to bless me in that aspect. But I fashion that and model that after God's Word. Because I want my foundation to be solid. And I want my fruit to be good. But I want to close with this for you as we, as we finish off. You really, need to, you really need to consider this. And I mean this with all respect. What does your bio look like? What does it look like? What is your bio? And I'm not talking about your pedigree. I'm not talking about when, where you went to school. I'm not talking about your career. What's your bio? Is it a good one? Or is it not so good? Is it a bio that people look at and say, well, you're just like me? Or is it a bio that people look at and say, Man, there's something different about him. There's something about him that resonates godliness. There's something about him that's not arrogant, it's not cocky, it's not in your face. It's saying that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Matthew chapter 12 is our last text. And then I'll leave this lesson with you. I'm looking forward to, to this evening and tomorrow and Wednesday, Tuesday and Wednesday, and being with you all before we head back down south. But in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 33. And folks, these are the words of Christ. You need to understand the context that's happening right here in Matthew chapter 12 is Jesus has just been given the Pharisees a weapon. He's been verbally giving them a weapon. He's gotten after them because remember the Pharisees, they're the ones that have it all together. And they know exactly how the cow chews the cabbage. And they were wrong. They were spot on dead wrong. And Jesus has been admonishing them and, 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 and they've even gotten to the point that they've said, well, he's casting out all these demons because he's of the devil himself. And Jesus corrects them with that earlier in, in this chapter. But then he says in verse 30, he's just gotten after them and he says, there is a sin that you can commit that cannot be forgiven. And that's the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But then notice what he says in verse 33. He just lambasts them and he says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. It's your choice. You want a good tree? Fertilize it. Cut off the branch that are dead. Prune it. Make it right. Give it the things that it needs to make the fruit good. You want a tree that's going to be bad? Ignore it. Go ahead and do stuff that's going to, that's going to tear it down and, and, and corrode it and destroy it. You're going to have either good fruit or you're going to have bad fruit. Jesus said, make the tree either good and its fruit good or the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And then he says something so striking. You brood of vipers. You, you snake. You are destroying and killing souls. Their bio was a pretty bad one. And Jesus was letting them have it. So I want to end with this. Consider your bio. 
Are you making a good tree that's producing good fruit? Or are you okay with status quo? Are you okay with just getting along with it? I love the fact that within the Lord's church, we provide an opportunity that we call the invitation. And the invitation, if I understand correctly, is if, if you feel like you need some prayers or, or if you feel like you need someone to, uh, uh, to pray with you, or if you just need to say, I need, some, I need some support of the family, I need somebody to put their arm around me and help me with this tree that I've got is not a very strong one, then we have what we call the invitation, which is your chance to say that. But if I understand correctly, the elders are, are eager to help you back there in the back as well when we're, when we're done here. But this song right here that we're going to sing is that opportunity. It's three verses. You can tell there's only, if you're in class this morning, only 12 slides. It's going to go fast. But hopefully what you'll do is you'll think about your bio. I'm not concerned about you thinking about me. I'm thankful that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's not about me. It's about you and your bio. And whether your fruit is good and your foundation is solid. If you need the prayers, if you need support, this is your opportunity as we stand together and sing.